Welcome to DLA Piper's Tech Law podcast series. My name is Chloe Forster, a partner in the technology transactions and strategic sourcing team at global business law firm DLA Piper. In today's podcast, I, together with an eminent industry executive, will be exploring a number of topics, including the transformation of payment solutions, the future of fintech, and how we can drive greater diversity in technology. This forms part of our preparation for the widely acclaimed DLA Piper European Technology Summit 2019, which is taking place on Tuesday the 15th of October at ETC Venues, 155 Bishopsgate, London. You can find further details on DLA Piper's social media channels and our event website, www.dlapipertechsummit.com forward slash European. It's our major biennial conference attended by over 350 senior legal and commercial executives with our event day program set to include various discussions on the impact of tech, including a panel on how technology is disrupting the retail sector, looking at, amongst other things, the growth of platform providers, marketplaces and direct-to-consumer models, as well as other panels on the future of fintech and driving diversity through technology. Whilst I'm a partner in our technology transactions and strategic sourcing group, advising on complex and strategic technology and sourcing transactions, here I extend a special welcome to Anna Tsupko, CEO and co-founder of Paybase. Paybase are providers of an end-to-end platform solution for payments, compliance and risk, offering tailor-made payment flows for any business requiring electronic money solutions. Paybase has been described by Wired as a business set to revolutionise finance, and by Real Business as one of the UK's 50 most disruptive businesses. As well as being included in this year's FinTech Power 50, Anna has personally also been shortlisted in 2019 for the Emerging Women's Payments Network Award and the Paytech Awards in the category Rising Paytech Star Award. Hi Anna, thank you for joining me today. For the benefit of our listeners, it'd be great if you could give us a brief introduction to your professional background and Paybase's business. Hi Chloe, thanks so much for having me. Um, So I started my career in investment management. I joined a a family office, an early stage VC in Germany, and we invested in a variety of different businesses from prop tech to vegan fashion, but also payments. And that's how I got first exposed to the payments world and the lack of technological advancement in in, in that industry and also the legacy thinking in that industry. And that's ultimately what propelled me to start Paybase together with my co-founder. And so what we do at Paybase is we provide a solution, a payment solution for companies that require more than just standard one-to-one payments. So we work a lot with online marketplaces, with gig sharing economy platforms, but also with B2C fintechs that don't want to build out their payments infrastructure themselves. So Anna... You describe Paybase as a provider of end-to-end payment solutions for platform providers, but perhaps we can start by discussing some of the challenges being faced by providers of gig economy and online marketplace platforms. How are payment solutions evolving to meet the needs of platform businesses? It's an interesting question that. Obviously, we're all very familiar with the standard one-to-one payment flow. If you buy something online or in a shop, it's a transaction between yourself and the business in question. Whereas with platforms, online marketplaces, for instance, there are more parties involved. You've got the buyers on the one hand, the seller on the other hand, and then the marketplace in between. And the way that the marketplace makes money is by taking a commission of every single sale made. And so if a marketplace was to work with a more traditional payments provider, 
what would happen is that all sales um, and all the all the funds from all the sales would be settled into the marketplace's bank account. And then the marketplace would have to figure out, okay, well, how much do I owe merchant number one? How much do I owe merchant number two? What's my commission of all of these transactions? Before then logging onto their online banking and manually paying one merchant after another, which is obviously an incredibly um, manual process. It's a lot of operational overhead and it's not scalable. It might work if you've got 10 merchants on your platform, maybe if you've got 50 uh, merchants on your platform, but it doesn't really work at mm -hmm. scale. And so, and so payments um, need to evolve in order to accommodate for that. And what we've been, what we've been building and what we're providing to the market is a multi-party payment solution that allows for the automated splitting of commission, the automated routing of funds, and removes all of that manual overhead. And of course, a key challenge for businesses in this area is, of course, regulation, in particular PSD2, which changed the commercial agents exclusion, which marketplaces previously relied on to avoid regulation. Under PSD2, if a business acts on behalf of both the buyer and the seller, then it's likely to require FC authorization or registration. And this affects marketplace providers and platform providers. How has the industry responded to the changes in your view? It's an interesting, interesting one in that regulation has actually really played in our favour mm -hmm. um, because there's this real market need that our solution can address really well. Um, so as you rightly say, online marketplaces can no longer continue doing what they have been doing, which is that kind of manual flow of where they receive all the funds and then distribute them themselves because they're holding on to client money. It's not, it's not their own money. And in theory, they could just not pay their merchants, pay them late, mm -hmm. pay them half of what, what they're owed. Um, and so the way we're addressing that is with the help of electronic money. We are a regulated electronic money institution, and we actually open electronic money accounts for all of the merchants on a marketplace and the marketplace itself. And electronic money accounts are nothing more than kind of <laughs> digital versions of, of bank accounts almost. And so what happens is... Um, all the funds will be sent to us as opposed to the marketplace mm -hmm. and we then automatically update our ledger and credit the correct amount to the merchant in question and the marketplace in question. And what that means is that obviously there's no need for reconciliation, every party knows what they're owed in real time, but what it also means is that the marketplace never gets to see any funds that are not their own and so they, um, they're not exposed from a regulatory point of view. And then when merchants or, or the marketplace want to withdraw those funds it's a click of a button and we automatically make that payout so it's really with the help of electronic money that that solution or, or that problem can be solved for online marketplaces and so you're finding that marketplace providers uh, gig economy platform providers are really just partnering with fintechs in order to address this regulatory issue that they're facing absolutely um, there are obviously some really big global players that have invested in their own payments infrastructure which makes sense but if you're a smaller marketplace or even a mid-sized marketplace the the, the, the focus is or focusing on your core business is incredibly important and getting regulated and, and working through building out your own payments infrastructure just massively detracts from that. So yes, absolutely. And what are some of the other challenges that you see platform providers facing at the moment? Mm -hmm. um, I would say that over the last few years, there's been a lot more marketplaces that have sprung up. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, there is a lot of competition in terms of buyers and merchants. Um, 
and, and, and marketplaces really need to make sure that they attract the best, the best buyers and the best merchants because that's ultimately their core asset. And so a problem is that that competitive nature of marketplaces where it's very easy for a merchant to be selling on five different marketplaces at the same time. Um, but even more critically is the problem of disintermediation. Um, that, is, that is, for instance, in, in a gig economy platform where you're connecting workers with with people that need work done it's easy to find that worker on the platform but then actually settle the transaction offline and avoid paying that extra fee that the platform takes so that's that's a massive problem for those platforms they, they spend a lot of time um, and a lot of resource in attracting um, users but then lose out on on revenue so this this problem of disintermediation is 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 a really big challenge for platforms especially in the gig economy space and how can um, big data and the data gathered by payments providers really help marketplace providers with that? Mm -hmm. I would say that one big, one big, um, or, or one great way of helping marketplaces is with loyalty schemes. Um, so, for instance, if, if a merchant transacts more than X amount per month, then reducing their commission by a certain, certain percentage or giving cash back to, to, to buyers, um, creating loyalty programs for buyers. So all of these are very important. But the other really important element is settlement timelines. Often um, payments providers have long settlement timelines, especially when card acquiring is involved. And if you can get paid immediately using cash, that's very different to having to wait for your money for seven days. So if payments providers can shorten that settlement timeline, that will help a lot as well. And are there any uh, ways in which Paybase particularly facilitates this? So this is actually one of the one of the things that is really close to my heart and and, and really important to Paybase is to see how payments cannot just be this this plumbing um, that lets you do whatever you want to do, but actually turning payments into something that can help you build a more competitive business. And so what we what we have created is a really big um, library of rule templates um, that have slots that can be filled and this can be done by our operations team by our product team by our account management team and and these rules can can um, affect quite a quite a few cool things but they're especially powerful in the loyalty and rewards um, uh, context so we briefly mentioned tiering merchant fees yep. that's something that we can set up extremely easily and it can be just a standard merchant and a VIP merchant it can be gold silver and bronze merchants it, it can be whatever our clients want it to be and we can set that up incredibly quickly and without any development work so we're kind of giving clients um, something that works specifically well for them without them having to wait for it or incur extra costs. And so tailoring reward and loyalty schemes specifically to, to the client in question means they can really make the most out of payments in order to attract more buyers and sellers. And so thinking as well about the um, opportunity to lock in or incentivize uh, buyers as well to platforms, we're seeing obviously a, a rise in gamification and other incentives being offered across the retail sector as a whole. Is that something which you guys are looking at as well? And if so, how? Absolutely. We believe that referral schemes are incredibly important in creating networks, network effects, which are ultimately very important for platform businesses. Yeah. And, you know, historically, we've seen big marketplaces and big platform businesses 
acquire loads of users specifically through referral schemes but referral schemes have been the luxury of those bigger companies that had the re or have the resource um, and the time to build those out internally um, whereas we can help um, smaller smaller clients by setting all of that up for them and again customizing it in a way that fits perfectly for them so that's definitely something that we're that we're doing for clients and that's seemingly working well that's great thanks Anna that's really interesting so now moving on to talk a little bit about the challenges and opportunities in fintech and um, getting traction as a startup in that particular sector. So having spoken about where you are now as a business, I'm really interested in understanding the vision and the drive that got you there. So how did you identify this as an opportunity for Paybase to grasp? So I, I briefly mentioned that one of the companies that we'd invested in was a um, B2C payments company, a mm -hmm. fintech, and what they were doing was mobile peer-to-peer -peer payments. And whilst I was managing that, that investment, it really became apparent that what the guys really wanted to do is build a great product, find, find product market fit, and really define their go-to-market strategy. But in order to, to build something that's seemingly quite, quite an easy product, you know, people sending money to one another in, an, in, an, in a seamless way, they had to go through so much. They had to get regulated as an electronic money institution. They had to integrate with a myriad of different payments providers that often used legacy technology, you know, technology that's 5, 10, 20 years old and incredibly rigid and inflexible. And that also often charged really high setup fees and really high monthly minimums. And so what ended up happening is that instead of focusing on their core business, the guy spent more than 50% of their time building out their payments infrastructure and in essence becoming a financial institution. And even after having done that, they still weren't able to build exactly what they wanted to do because they were limited by their payments providers. And that, that's when I thought, you know what, that there needs to be a better way of doing this. Yeah. There needs to be a solution that is that is um, easily accessible, that, that's not charging these crazy fees, that doesn't, that doesn't um, mean that uh, founders have to know all about payments and regulation and yeah. so on and ultimately one that empowers founders as opposed to limiting them so that's really how how the paybase idea was born um, and since we've been working on on our platform and our traction and yeah it's been it's been a fantastic journey and how's how have you found the experience of building out the platform it hasn't always been easy, <laughs> I, I will say that, um, because obviously, you know, we, we are a regulated entity and so we can't just, you know, quickly brainstorm and, and, yeah. and, and ship a new feature. We need to make sure that everything we build is, is compliant, that everything we build is in line with regulation, but at the same time that it works well for our, for our clients and their end customers and that the user experience is as good as it can be. And so balancing these things is is challenging but it's also where I believe we derive a lot of our competitive advantage from so it's yeah. been good and you talk a little bit about the the challenges of being regulated but it seems to me that yes um the fact that you are regulated is a core part of what Paybase has is offering and how did you find the process of becoming regulated having seen in your previous uh life what that led to for others mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, we've been very lucky in that our head of compliance is fantastic and she spearheaded that process <laughs> and got us regulated and then, you know, reauthorized under PSD2 in a relatively quick period of time. Um, so the, the, the process of getting regulated wasn't actually that cumbersome. It's more 
operating as a regulated institution and taking into account what that means for every single aspect of the business that has been the bigger challenge. It's really interesting that you say that. So how do you find on a, is, is it something which is just day to day in your uh, mindset at all times, every decision you make has to link back to that regulated status, do you find? Often, often, yeah. absolutely. You know, it may it may even be, you know, a small or short blog that we're writing and, you know, we need yeah. to make sure that our marketing communications are in line with treating customers fairly and, and kind of the FCA guidelines on, on marketing. And so what, what I think is really important for a regulated business is for compliance not to be siloed but rather for there to be a culture where everyone understands what it means to be regulated and so for us it's really important to to educate the rest of the team and our compliance team has been fantastic in you know running training sessions and just being involved in product meetings and marketing meetings and so on so that everyone's aware and everybody knows okay maybe this is what I need to watch out for as opposed to kind of everything having to go through compliance sign off and approval. And I think one of the things that, that you mentioned that, that is really interesting is that actually this is this is an opportunity for you guys and that you see your role as effectively taking that 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 worry and that process away from your partners. How do you find that that partners engage with that as a concept? In general, that there's probably two two camps of, 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 of partners or clients. They're those that want to go above and beyond and that really you know, maybe they've they've dealt with with compliance and regulation before, or they just you know want to take a very careful approach to how they build their business. And so we then work with them to set up additional risk rules, for instance, if that's what they want. Um, and if they're interested in learning a bit more how how due diligence process works, you know, we we, we talk them through that. So it's it, it's great to be working with with clients that are so aware. Then there's the other camp who haven't really considered. Um, compliance, due diligence, yeah. regulation, for them it's really just about the payments. Yeah. So there there's a bit more of an educational piece that, that, mm -hmm. that we need to do. But you know, I, I think it's really important for us to take on that that role of of, of educating the market and and explaining why these 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 things are ultimately beneficial to them and their end users. And so we found that all of our all of our clients, all of our prospects are very are very receptive and the approach that we've been taking is very much a kind of a partnership approach yeah. where we are we are here for our clients to, to ask any questions, to discuss anything. And if anything's unclear, you know, we will explain why it's important and how we can potentially reduce friction or change things around in order to best suit their use case. And I think that's really interesting because I think that's absolutely consistent with what we see here at DLA Piper. I think we're seeing more and more organisations collaborating across the different levels of the value chain mm. to be able to address some of the issues that businesses are facing. I think thinking about the retail sector particularly, we're seeing more and more bricks and mortar or clicks and mortar retailers um, looking at building long-term long strategic partnerships with technology suppliers, with uh, startup payment platform providers, with all sorts of different parts of the value chain to make sure that they're actually really driving the business forward mm -hmm. from a technology perspective while still being true to what they know and what they do best. So Anna, for the purposes of our listener, perhaps you could add something around your experiences in terms of collaboration in the fintech space. 
Um, for us, obviously, one of the key things we do is we offer an end-to-end solution and a lot of the things we do ourselves, you know, the, the, the e-money side of things, the, the regulatory side of things, the ledgering side of things, um, but we also need to rely on a variety of, of, of partners and suppliers in order to be able to offer that end-to-end solution. And it's been, it's been a really, really good journey of finding the right suppliers, the, the suppliers that have a similarly flexible mindset that also want to innovate and that also want to ultimately offer better client and user experience. So it's taken us a while to find the right suppliers, but we're very happy with with who we are working with right now. And in general, I feel like a lot of a lot of change has happened over the last two to three years. And there's a lot more suppliers out there that take a more forward-looking approach to payments, where it's less about we just want to lock you into really long contracts and charge you loads of monthly minimums and offer a subpar solution to, you know what, we actually really care about the ultimate experience of our clients and and we want to facilitate that so that's the types of suppliers we work with and that's that's really great yeah I think we're definitely seeing that more and more more uh, entities working together and actually thinking about what's in it for both of us Mm -hmm. not beating each other up with the contract but actually taking a much more progressive view to to partnering together Mm -hmm. as you say so thinking now about the future and the theme of the summit being technology for the 2020s what do you see as the opportunities for paybase in the coming years mm-hmm. i think one of one of the biggest opportunities for us is our european expansion so currently we are uk only um, all of all of our clients are, are uk clients but the platform business sector inherently scales really well internationally. Once you build a marketplace or a gig or sharing economy platform, it's relatively simple to replicate that model across different mm-hmm. jurisdictions. And we, as, as, as the payments provider, obviously need to be able to support that growth. So our plan is to be in Europe by early next year. Um, so we're working hard on our expansion right now. And we want to be able to support our current clients with their expansion, but at the same time, we want to go after the European market mm-hmm. and and you know ultimately become the go-to solution for platform business payments and and really raise the bar of what platform businesses can expect from payments. And more generally, getting into the subject of fintech, where do you see uh, the fintech ecosystem changing over the next one to three years? I mean, I think one of the very exciting current developments is the PISP functionality and being able to pay by bank as opposed to pay by card when you're checking out online. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is something that I think will be hugely beneficial to online retailers, platform businesses, um, whatever it may be, because obviously um, paying by card is incredibly easy and seamless but the costs involved for the merchant are are relatively high there's a percentage component and the moment you get into larger average transaction values it can become really really expensive Mm -hmm. so replicating that with bank payments or making the the pay by bank experience as closely you know resembling the card experience as closely as possible i think is really exciting um and Obviously, the, the, the biggest benefit is is for the merchants and the businesses out there. Um, but I do think that user adoption will follow quickly and the, the, the cost savings that the merchants can make, they will be able to pass on to their, to their end customers, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point because one of the things we're absolutely hearing when we speak to our retail sector clients is 
having to put the, the customer at the heart of mm -hmm. things and make things feel seamless and easy for mm -hmm. them however they want to transact. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting that you pick that up as a real opportunity for, for platform providers, for e-money providers, but fintech as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that change, both both kind of from a business perspective, but also from a personal consumer perspective, 100%. That's great. Thank you, Anna. And so the final topic that I wanted to discuss with you for the purposes of our listeners was to talk a little bit about how technology can actually be used to drive diversity. And um, this is a sub subject which I think we both share a passion in, having actually first met through the CBI's Women in Tech Policy Steering Group. So how do you see that um, technology can actually drive diversity and, and address some of the issues that we see. I would say that, you know, technology-focused companies tend to be more forward-looking, tend to be more innovative, and often tend to be, you know, founded recently. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a big advantage for, for companies. You know, if you are young and you're, you've only just, you know, come about there is less of an ingrained culture that you need to fight and overcome in order to achieve diversity. And diversity is almost something that you can bake into the DNA of, of your company. So I feel that I've been very fortunate that as a female entrepreneur, I've been able to set the tone of our company culture and set the tone of how we view diversity and inclusion. And, you know, because, because for me, this should be a non-issue, that's you know that, that yeah. that's how I try to treat it within the company. It's it's a meritocracy. Whenever we whenever we hire, whenever we promote, it's it's all about who is genuinely best placed to do the job. Who is you know the most the most skilled, the most motivated, the most you know the the best placed yeah. candidate. And 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 so I feel like there's a lot less that we've had to do within our organisation to to fight the lack of diversity because we set everything up with that in mind from from kind of the early days so yeah it's been it's 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 been good how do you view your own role and responsibilities as a female founder and how important do you think it is to to talk about that and to inspire the next generation of female founders it's a really good question i i think it's incredibly important it's important for there to be women in tech events, women in female founder events, um, but also just women standing up and, and, and talking about their journey and showing other women that it's possible. Thanks to Anna Zupko, CEO and co-founder of Paybase, for sharing her insights on the transformation of payment solutions, the future of fintech, and how we can drive greater diversity in tech. Do look out for further podcasts from the global business law firm DLA Piper as we explore the influence of regulation and emerging technologies in business and wider society. Several podcasts, including ones focusing on retail transformation, fintech, robotics and automation, AI, crowdfunding and cryptocurrency are already available for you to listen to on our website or may be accessed via the Apple podcast app on iOS or SoundCloud, as well as other apps and services for Android and other phones. On Tuesday the 15th of October, we'll also be hosting our DLA Piper European Technology Summit 2019, a major biennial conference attended by over 350 senior legal and commercial executives. It's taking place at ETC Venues, 155 Bishopsgate, London. We're looking forward to being joined by a number of eminent industry executives, including on a panel discussion I'll be moderating on the day under the banner of Revitalising Retail, how tech is shaping the future of retail, as well as other panels on competitors or collaborators, the financial service versus fintech challenge, 
and driving diversity through technology. Do follow DLA Piper on our social media channels and visit our events website www.dlapipertechsummit.com forward slash European where you can register to join us for an exciting full day exploring a variety of aspects of digital transformation and emerging technologies across multiple industries with industry leaders from across Europe and beyond. Thank you from me, Chloe Forster, partner at global business law firm DLA Piper.